It really is uh, a cool thing that we're doing this December as our three churches. You may or may not know, especially if you're kind of newer to Covenant, um, just the heart that exists within the city. Honestly, not just within our three churches, but even beyond that. And uh, we are, are blessed and excited to be kind of doing this series together uh, that we're calling Behold. And as we're doing this series, we're doing this pastor swap really to give you the heart of unity that exists. And as I think uh, of, of this church specifically, I've been in Bowling Green for 19 years now, believe it or not, which uh, I know you look at me like, you don't seem old enough to, but I came here as a college student, and uh, and when I came here as a college student, I got involved with the church I pastor now right away within the first week, but um, as I graduated and started kind of networking within the community, this church, Bowling Green Covenant Church, uh, Covenant Church here, has truly just been a leader in unifying the body of Christ in Bowling Green. If you've been around uh, this church at all, you probably know that. I mean, that's a huge heart uh, for this church here, and so... Uh, it really is an honor to be here, especially for, as many of you have kind of led the way in that concept that, that we are united as one, and it really is an honor. And then um, just within the last year, you know, to have um, Pastor Kyle come here and his wife, Stephanie, I, I think it's just been such a blessing, you know, to continue to get to know uh, all of you, and I think that God has awesome things in store for Covenant Church, and uh, it's really cool. In fact, we joked uh, when we started planning, the, the, the pastors get together once a month to pray together, and the the three of us, we came up with this idea to, to do a pastor swap, and we joked that maybe each one of us would intentionally bomb, you know, like do a really horrible job, so that when Kyle comes back next week, he'll be like, yeah, we really appreciate him even more than we thought, you know, and so uh, we paid each other off to really embarrass ourselves. So um, sit back, you got 30 minutes of me embarrassing myself over the next uh, half hour, but with that being said, uh, we're excited to jump into this series that we're calling Behold, and, and the idea with this series is that we would just kind of stop and soak in the wonder of Christmas. You know, there's so many things that go on in the month of December. You know, there's so many presents to buy, there's parties to go to, there's food to make, there's kids to watch if you have kids, and and there's so much that can go on that we can kind of lose the wonder of Christmas and all the busyness of everything. And so the goal with this series is that at least during Sunday mornings, we would just kind of stop and behold the miracle and the wonder of of the Christmas story. And with that in mind, we're telling the Christmas story from some unique different perspectives throughout this series. Today, uh, I'm going to be talking from the perspective of the royalty that was involved with the Christmas story. Uh, Next week, Kyle is going to be talking about Joseph and Mary. He'll be back here next Sunday. And then the Sunday after that, Pastor Kevin from Brookside will be here, and he's going to talk about the shepherds and their perspective. And then on Christmas Eve, we'll kind of conclude the series uh, looking at the, the Christmas story from the perspective of Jesus himself. And so the hope with this series is that we kind of just stop and really actually do what the title of the series says, Behold the Wonder of Christmas. And so, like I said, I'm talking about the Christmas story from the perspective of the royalty that was involved. And and as you look at the Christmas story, there's kind of two different sets of royalty that we're going to talk about and discover. One of, one of the, the kings that was involved in the birth of Jesus was King Herod. And if you know the Christmas story, we're going to walk and discover what King Herod's response to Jesus' birth actually was. But another set of royalty existed as well. We call them the three kings, or the three wise men, or the three majesty. And they had a very different response to Jesus' birth. And so we're going to look at this idea of royalty. And when you think about that topic of royalty, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because there is a fascination within the human heart that's drawn to royalty. 
If you really think about it, there's a fascination that, 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 that crosses all cultural boundaries that we are kind of fascinated with royalty. And you may say, no, we're Americans. You know, we, we overthrew the king. You know, we like democracy. We don't like royalty. But, but think about the stories that we tell. Think about the, the, the myths or the things that we tell our kids. You know, stories like Robin Hood that revolves around a good king. Stories like Lords of the Rings that, that many of us, we, we love watching. Think about, I know nobody would admit this, think about the tabloids that we buy, right? Um, isn't there like an a, a engagement for Prince Harry? You know, I, I would never buy a tabloid. I'm sure no one in here ever would. But we get fascinated with this idea of royalty. It's something that we're drawn to, and it's really interesting interesting. And if you still don't believe me, think about Disney, right? I mean, Disney World is like this, this amazing thing, this multi-million, probably multi-billion dollar institution that is built on the idea of royalty. And I'm not a hater of Disney World. If you've ever been there, that's awesome. I've actually got the opportunity to go twice. A couple years ago, my in-laws took us when my daughter, you saw her, she was only like two or three years old. And then this summer, my, my family, my parents actually took us to Disney. So we went to, to Magic Kingdom for just one day. All right, and so as we went to Magic Kingdom, we were only going to be there for one day, and we realized we needed to pack as much as humanly possible into this one day because we paid a lot of money to, to be at Magic Kingdom, and so we had to get the full experience. So we got there before the park opened, and, uh, and we tried to just get as many rides in as possible. We went the last week of July. It was hot. It was sticky. It's the most crowded it ever is during that week. I don't know why we chose it, but we did. And so we were kind of just gone through the motions. We were trying to experience uh, the, the Disney experience. And we decided we were going to stay all the way through the end. We got there before the park opened. We're going to stay until the very end when there's this laser light show and there's this fireworks in front of the big castle, you know, the iconic castle at Magic Kingdom that you probably have experienced. So we were on a ride. We are on the log ride. We had to get that in to last minute. And we were running to get to the fireworks. And as we're running, here's the amazing thing about Disney. And this, this has to convince us that we're drawn to humanity. There's like 50, 60-year-old men that are throwing elbows a little kids to get in front of the castle like they they want to see this imaginary princess or this imaginary king and they're literally like trampling over each other to get to this laser light show and the fireworks so we get to the 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 show right in front of the the big castle you know right as it's about to to start we we stand there and there's tens of thousands of people looking at this fake castle it's cool but this fake castle watching these characters sing songs Doesn't that just say that we are drawn to the idea of royalty? So as we're sitting there, I can only think about, I'm just one of these guys who's always kind of coming up with the plan, so I can't enjoy the moment. I'm thinking, there's 10,000, 20,000 people here, and we're all going to leave at the same time. So I'm sitting there thinking about, what is our exit plan? How are we going to beat the rest of these people out of here? And and as I'm kind of looking around to figure out how we can get out of there, my wife, she goes, are you watching this? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm watching it. It's cool. How are we going to get out of here? And she's like, no, no, no. Are you watching this? I'm like, yeah, okay. She's like, just enjoy the moment. And then as we're sitting there, she, she whispers this to me. She's like, we were made to worship, weren't we? We were made to worship. Look at these thousands of people that are just sitting here watching this experience in dead silence. Grown men, kids, women, boys, everybody across different cultures. We were sitting there just in awe of the experience. And my wife, she's way more spiritual than me. She says, we were made to worship, weren't we? And this isn't quite it. But this points to something even greater, that we were made to worship. As I think about that story, 
it reminds me that we were made to worship a true king. We were made to worship a true king, and today we are going to see this true king and hear about the experience and the story of how he was born and how he entered into our humanity. You see, here's the reality. All of us are fascinated by royalty because we know that we're longing for that coming of that perfect and just king. And the interesting thing as well is that as you look at the track record of our human royalty that we've tried to prop up and make so amazing, all there is is failure after failure after failure. That's why we had to rebel. That's why we're a democracy now. If you look at the track record of the royalty that exists within this world, all there is is tyranny tyranny and, and slavery and brokenness, and yet we're still drawn to it because there's something inside of us that knows that there is a real king, and he is good. And so here's the big idea that we're going to kind of view the lens of the Christmas story from today. The big idea is this. Jesus is king. Okay? Jesus is king. No matter what your perspective is, no matter what your background is, that truth will not change today. Jesus is king. But the question for all of us to wrestle with is how will we respond to that truth? How will we respond to the truth that Jesus is king? And we're going to see two very different responses from the royalty that witnessed the birth of Jesus. And hopefully, my hope throughout this morning is that we're going to kind of behold, we're we're going to stop and just ask the question, how am I going to respond to the fact, to the truth, to the reality that Jesus is king? So let's jump in to the text together today. It's Matthew chapter 2. Uh, The Christmas story is told in in Luke and it's told in Matthew. We're going to be looking at the Matthew version of it today. Matthew chapter 2. If you have Bibles, you can read along. It should come up on the screens as well. It says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. And they asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw the star when it rose and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, for all of Jerusalem was with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people of Israel." Okay, did you catch that in the announcement of Jesus, the two very different responses that exist? First, we have the three kings or the magi. And, and it's interesting, we really don't know all that much about these three kings or the magi. In fact, we don't even know that there's three of them. That's what kind of legend or history maybe tells us, but there's never explicitly told that there's three kings. They're, they'll bring three gifts, which we'll see later on. And so we, we assume that there are three kings, but we don't even know exactly how many they are. We don't know exactly where they're from. It says somewhere in the east, and we knew that it took them a long, a long time to travel to see Jesus. And so we assume that they're from a long way away. We don't even know, you know, what their ethnic background is, what their religion is. All we know is the fact that they saw this star, and God revealed to them that there was a true king that was coming, and they literally dropped everything and came to worship him. They went through, you know, we can assume some vast trials to get to this little manger to see baby Jesus. They dropped everything because they were interested in seeking the one true king. God had put it on their heart that there was a king that was out there and they left everything. They left their home and they came to seek him. And then we see kind of the opposite reaction. 
King Herod. Now, King Herod, we know a little bit more about him. In fact, he was ruling in a place that was, was a Jewish nation at that time. And so he would have been at least somewhat familiar with the prophecies that there would be a coming king who would be Jesus. And so he knew much more than the, the three kings or the magi would have known. But Herod, he wasn't interested in seeking the true king. Herod, it says, he was disturbed. He was threatened. He was bothered. By the fact that there was somebody who might mess with his plan, with his power, with his life. And so instead of coming to worship the king, he's disturbed. And he starts to go to a work on, on a plan of how he can maybe get rid of this king and stay in the position of power that he has. See, when Jesus comes onto the scene in our lives... For every single one of us, not just thousands of years ago, but for us as we sit here today, when Jesus comes on the scene and it's proclaimed to us that Jesus is the true king, we have an option to respond. And really, there's only two responses that we can make to Jesus. There really only are two responses. One response is to drop everything and say, God, you are worthy of my worship. Jesus, you are that one true king. And the other option is to reject that. Or to turn our heads from that. Or to try to hide from that. And even if you say, well, I wouldn't go as far as saying I'm rejecting Jesus, but I'm not quite ready to worship him as king. Well, in essence, what we're saying is, you know what, Jesus, not right now. I'm, I'm worried about my own kingdom. I'm worried about my own life. I'm worried about my own plans. And so we may not go to some of the extents that Herod is going to go to, as we're going to discover together today. But as Jesus has proclaimed to us, there's one of two options. We either worship him or we're disturbed by him. And I want us to kind of wrestle with that as we're talking about this Behold series, as we're taking a moment to, to uh, digest the reality that God in flesh came to this earth to prove to us that he is king. So let's jump back into the text. Let's look a little bit more in depth in these two different responses. Verse 7 says this. It says, Then Herod called the Magi secretly, and he found out from the exact time of the star as it had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem. And he said, go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go ahead and worship him. We know from a later account that he was lying in that statement. Verse 9 says, after they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it arose, it went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. And they opened their treasures, and they presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So we see this story playing out. We see these three kings just seeing the star and, and getting the chance to actually experience, probably actually even touch, to sit with God in flesh. And their response was they were overjoyed. It says they brought him these gifts. Now, we, we've kind of taken that tradition to a whole new level, haven't we? When, when it's Christmas time for us, we do gifts as well, don't we? And, and there's something just fun, and there's something good, and there's something exciting about giving gifts at Christmas time. I think a lot of the heart of that is from what these three kings taught us. When, when we love people, when people are close to us, we like to bless them with things. I remember uh, a few years back, if you're a parent, you know, like, there's just something cool about giving your kid a gift 
that they love. You know, there's just something cool about being able to provide something for them that they get excited about. Uh, You saw the picture of my three kids. Sam, my middle kid, if you're familiar with like love languages, you know, they say that there's these different things that that each of us really feels the most loved by. Well, Sam, my middle one, he loves getting gifts. All right, he just gets so excited about getting given a gift. And so we were having this Christmas. He was like five years old. He was just getting into all these electronics and getting into the reality of remote control cars, okay? And so we got Sam this remote control truck. And uh, he was so, you, you probably want one of those, right? He was so excited. And uh, so, so we wrapped it up and we're like, you know, hey, don't get too excited about Christmas. We're not sure what we're going to get. We're doing the good parent thing. And he opens up the gift. He gets down and he opens it. And he is literally beyond himself with excitement. He's five years old. He doesn't know what to do. He cannot contain his emotions. He just starts screaming. He throws the truck down on the ground and he starts running around the room, you know? And it, like, as, as a parent, you're like, there's nothing them better than just blessing your kid like that and then we use it like twice and now it's in a dumpster somewhere right that's what happens to most christmas gifts you know how that works but it's not about the gift it's about the experience it's about showing them the love that you have i remember that that gift because it's so cool to be able to show people that you love them but the gifts that matter most are gifts that actually mean something right like as you think about, you know, giving gifts, whether it's at Christmas time or throughout your life, the gifts that actually matter most, the gifts that we remember, they have some meaning. They have some significance. They have some value that's beyond the, the physical thing that exists there. And that's what these, these three kings, they did for Jesus. I don't know if you know this, but those three gifts actually are really powerful gifts. They mean something to us. They're prophetic in a way. They tell us something. First, the gift of gold. Gold was a gift given to royalty. You know, especially during that time, you think about ancient culture, and gold was fit for royalty and royalty alone. And so these three kings come and they lay this gift down at this baby's feet, and it's a gift of gold, a gift of royalty. The second gift they give is a gift of frankincense. Now, probably a lot of us are like, what in the world is frankincense? Sounds like a movie or something like that, you know? Frankincense is, is this incense that would be burnt by a priest, Okay, and so as people would worship, they would consume this incense or this smell, and it would help point them towards God. And so frankincense was a gift given to these three kings, to Jesus, to recognize that Jesus is the ultimate high priest. He's the perfect high priest. In Hebrews, we're told that that he's the high priest who went through the throne of heaven, who can relate to us because he's been tempted in every way. And so from the moment he was born, it was being proclaimed that this baby is special. He's not just a normal child. He is the ultimate king. He is the ultimate high priest. But then check this out, myrrh. Myrrh. Probably the strangest gift you could ever give an infant. Myrrh was a gift for the dead. Myrrh was a a gift that that, that they would anoint dead bodies with. It's like formaldehyde. It it was something that they they would put dead bodies in to keep it and help it last longer for the burial. And so you have these three kings putting a gift of gold, putting a gift of frankincense, and yet putting a gift of myrrh. Bringing this gift to proclaim this king is such a good king that he will eventually die for the sins of the world. From the very moment Jesus is born, it was being proclaimed that he is the one true king that we all long for deep in our hearts. And these gifts signify what he means to us. And then let's 
close up with looking at King Herod's response. Because he has quite the opposite response. Verse 13, it says this. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for a child and kill him. And so he got up and he took the child and his mother during the night and he left for Egypt. And where he stayed until the death of Herod. So it was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I call my son. When King Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Man, that's kind of heavy, isn't it? See, that the three kings, they were ready to bow down and worship and drop everything for Jesus, but Herod was the exact opposite. He said, no way. I'm not willing to release the control that I have. See, Herod was threatened by the true king. Because he had his little kingdom. He had everything he could want. He had everything he could need. And the fact that a true king might require some sacrifice for him. The fact that a true king might mean that he's not at the top of the food chain. But he's at least one step down. He was not willing or able to deal with that reality. Herod could not release control of his power to a greater king. And so it led him to these horrible acts. These horrible sins. We're told, and and history tells us, that he killed every single male child under two years old in that little town of Bethlehem because he was so threatened by the one true king. And as you think about that, I'm sure all of us here sitting here gone, of course, we would never do anything like that. I mean, that guy's got problems. That guy's got control issues. And that's obviously true. But I wonder if there's something in each one of us It kind of just wants to keep control. I wonder if there's something within each one of us that kind of likes our little kingdom. That that kind of likes what God's given us. Kind of likes the blessings that God's given us. Kind of likes the jobs or the opportunities or the situations he's put us in. And so we kind of grab that situation a little tighter and a little tighter and a little tighter. And in doing that, it leads us to a place where it is really hard to be like these three kings. And lay down and worship Jesus. You know, um, a few years back, I was flying on this airplane, going on vacation with my family. And I, uh, a little thing about me, I'm a nervous flyer. Some of you guys are probably can relate to that. You know, I do it enough that, you know, you just push through. But, but I, don't, I don't love flying. It's not my favorite thing to do. So usually when I get on a plane, I just jump on the plane. I sit down in my seat. I try to distract myself. I just try to, you know, get through it as fast as possible. And so I'm, I'm sitting on this plane. We're about ready to take off. And inevitably, it seems like this happens all the time. Maybe it's just because God's trying to teach me something. But the pilot comes over the, the microphone. He's he says, ladies and gentlemen, just want to inform you that we're having mechanical problems and uh, it's going to be a while. You know, I'm like, perfect. You know, I already don't like to fly and just don't tell me if there's mechanical problems. All right. I, I, I just pretend everything's fine. So we're sitting there on the runway for, uh, you know, a little while. He says, you, you can say something like you can make yourself comfortable. So I stand up. And I reach into the overhead bin because I'm going to get another book out of my bag that's over my overhead bin. And behind me, this guy starts yelling at me. He's like, hey, what are you doing? And I'm like, 
I'm getting a book, you know, and he's like, what are, you, what, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm getting in my bag to get a book. He's like, that's not your bag, that's my bag. And uh, I was like, oh, and I look, up, look at it a little bit closer, and he's right. I, uh, our bags look, you know, really similar, and I, must, I thought his bag was my bag. And so me, I'm thinking, oh, you know, no big deal. And I kind of laugh. I say, oh, sorry about that. They look similar, you know. And, and he's like, I don't like when people touch my stuff, man. And I'm like, okay, you know. Hey, I'm a nervous flyer. Give me a break, all right. You know, I'm like, listen, it's, it's no big deal. Sorry, I didn't take anything out of it or whatever. And he's just looking at me. I don't like when people touch my stuff. I'm like, are we going to like get in a fight in the middle of an airplane because I accidentally, what do you want me to do? I'm sorry, you know. And, uh, and so like the rest of the flight, the rest of the time, he's just eyeballing me from the back, you know, like I can feel it in the back of my head. He's just like looking at me. He's like, I don't like when people touch my stuff. He kept saying that over and over again. I remember thinking about that guy and thinking about how a lot of us live our lives, you know. And I wonder if like that's how a lot of us, we kind of live our lives. We're like, I, I don't like when people mess with my plan. I don't like when people touch my stuff. I have my system. I have it figured out. And I wonder if some of us are even like that with God. I, God, I kind of got it figured out. Or I don't like when people touch my stuff. Or God, don't mess with my plan for my family. God, don't mess with my plan for my life. God, I, I don't like when people touch my stuff. So just kind of leave me be to do my own thing. You see, my proposal today is that even though Herod did some horrible things in his heart, he may not be that different from a lot of us. And so as we kind of wrap up this, this Christmas message, my, my challenge to myself, my challenge to all of us is which one of these sets of, of royalty are we going to respond like? Which one of these sets of royalty are we going to be like? Because obviously, as we sit here and we open up the words of Scripture, I think God's heart for us is that we would be like these three kings who laid everything down at the foot of Jesus and were willing to give it all to him with open hands. But I know some of us can struggle with being close-handed with our lives, with our stuff, with our positions. And so how are you going to respond to the fact that Jesus is king in this world and in this life? You know, I was thinking about this verse, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. So what should we do? If Jesus truly is king, then what should our response be? Well, it's obviously to worship him. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And so all Jesus wants from us is everything. (laughs) All Jesus wants from us is our whole lives. Jesus doesn't just want us to sing a song. He, he, He doesn't want us to just give some lip service. All he wants is everything. But in exchange for that, he will give us the life that we can actually follow him and have purpose and joy and peace. He may not make it perfect, He may not make it easy, but it will be fulfilling as we follow him. You see, a lot of us at this Christmas are wondering, how do I actually do that? You know, how do I actually get to the point where I can change? How do I actually get to the point where where I can point people towards Jesus? Tim Keller says it like this. He says, how do you change your behavior? You change what you worship. And so as we're beholding the birth of Jesus this Christmas season, 
My proposal for myself, my proposal for all of us is that we would change what we worship. And, and, and a lot of us, we may not bow down to our kids. We may not bow down to our possessions. We may not bow down to our jobs. But we kind of worship them a little bit sometimes because they're all we think about. They're all we act on. They're all we give our money to. They're all we give our time to. And so this Christmas is we're beholding the birth of Jesus. Lord, we just worship him. We'd be like those three kings who dropped everything and said, I'm going to do whatever it takes to find this one true king and worship him. So let me pray for us, and let's, let's spend some time singing to Jesus together. God, we thank you for this message of the cross. And we thank you for the reality that you are that good king that we all long for. And Lord, as we think and we ponder about what we might be worshiping other than you, God, would you help to convict our hearts? Lord, because many of those things are not bad things. Many of those things are not things that that we need to run from, but they're just things that we need to reposition in our lives and in our hearts. So God, we thank you for the reality that you are that one true king that we're longing for deep inside, that every single human is longing for, whether we know it or not. We thank you that you are that true king who came once, who left the comfort of heaven to to come and to die for us and ultimately will come again because you defeated the cross and sin and death. And we can take comfort in that. So God, would you help us to worship? Would you help us to worship not just with our, our voices, but with our lives? Lord, would the songs that we sing right now point us and help us to live out the gospel? that you've called us to. In your name we pray. Amen. Stand with me.